0: Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And we know that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So there's no way else we'd rather be right now than in your house, in your presence. And Lord, I pray you'll have your way with every single one of us. I pray that I will get out of the way, that your will will be done. I thank you that your word never returns void; it. It always sets out what you accomplished it to do, to have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And all of God's people said... You guys can take your seats. I must say, this is my first time back in Tableview in 2024 and it's so good to be with you guys, um, to see all your beautiful faces. It is hot as heck, um, but there's still no better place to be. Amen? It's better than the beach, better than lying under your aircon because we're in God's presence. And if you knew You are so welcome. If you've been part of our journey, you might be fasting with us. I don't know who's doing the Daniel fast. You don't have to raise your hand. Andre and I have been doing it for two weeks. And that means we've only been eating fruit and veg. You would think I would have lost weight, but I think I've gained weight with all the potatoes I have consumed. Dodgy. But um, from Monday, Andre and I will be doing a a fluid, I almost said a water-only fast. That's a lie. A a liquid-only fast from Monday. And... um, You know, you might be doing that with us, or maybe um, you aren't, but regardless of what you are doing, I want to invite you guys to join us to the five by five nights happening this week. So we always end off our fasting period with these nights. We meet at the church from 7 to 8 p.m. It's just an hour. We are so strict with time, but I promise you that these weeks will change your life. Because you are in God's presence, you are worshipping, you are going to set yourself up for 2024. So do yourself a favour and come. Andre always jokes, you can pretend you're fasting, just look very hungry and hold your stomach, will believe you. But even if you, even if you go, you know what, I'm going to fast Netflix for that hour and I'm going to come to church, do it. You won't regret it. Um... Yeah, God does amazing things in this week. So I'm looking really forward to it. We have childcare, so we've got your back. You can bring your kids, they'll have fun. And we're very deliberate with the time. But these are incredible moments in God's presence. And just to set us up for the week, I'm going to be talking this morning about the power of worship, what the Bible says about worship, and how God wants us to worship. Is that good? Awesome. So... I'm going to start off by reading to you guys from Jeremiah chapter 29. Actually, before I do, I forgot this in the first service and um, I got to an SMS from my husband. He's watching me from Malpus. And I mean to remind you guys that in two weeks, we are having our Vision Sunday. Okay, so put that in your phones. You don't want to miss Vision Sunday. It's always, it's, it sets us up for the year in terms of where we're going, what we're trusting God for. So first February in Sunday is Vision Sunday. You don't want to miss it. Okay, now we're going to read from Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 to 13. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's a familiar verse. Hey, a lot of us know that verse. But what a lot of us don't really uh, focus on is the qualifier to this piece of Scripture. This is the last part, and this is what it says. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So God's saying, I've got amazing plans for you. They're plans to prosper you. They're not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. God's saying, I want to bless you. I want to give you peace. I want to give you purpose. I want to give you hope. But you need to look for me wholeheartedly. The thing about God, and I wrote this down because I didn't want to say it wrong, I wanted to say it exactly how I wrote it, is we need to realize that we will never get the best of what God has to offer until we give God our best. If we go in and we look for Him wholeheartedly, He's going to bless us wholeheartedly. And you might say, why Leanne? That's the type of God He is. He's an all-in God. He's not a a one-day-a-week God or a 50-50 God or when we feel like a God. He's an all-in God. The Bible actually says He's jealous for us. He's jealous for our attention, for our heart, for our time. He wants to be with us. And so He wants to be our priority. And He wants us to worship Him like He's our priority. I've invited you guys to come to the nights of worship. And just to break it down, obviously, we experience worship here at church by singing. That's one of our expressions of worship, right? We just had a time of praise and worship. But what exactly is worship? What what is a good definition of worship? I've looked that up for you guys, and I love this definition because I think it makes a lot of sense. Worship is love expressed. Worship is love expressed. So basically, Worship is an expression of what you love. Are you guys with me? So if that's what worship is, would you agree that every single person in this room is worshipping something? Because we all love something. So we all are worshipping something. Some of us aren't even aware of what we worship. We might be worshipping our children, we might be worshipping our careers, it might be our partners, it might even be a dream of what the ideal life would look like. But all of us are chasing after and worshipping something. And the reason why we're all worshipping something is because that's how we were designed. We were designed to worship. It's like in our DNA, we can't fight it. We were designed to worship God, but if we're not doing that... We're going to put our love and our devotion on something else. And we'll worship something else besides God. Matthew 22 verse 37, Jesus says, Love, Lord your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. God's saying to us, if you are going to love me, love me with everything, every part of your being. John 4, verse 23, it says, Yet a time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What is God saying? He's saying, When you worship me, worship me fully, worship me all in, worship me with every part of your life. Now, just interestingly, you guys all know that the Bible was not originally written in English, right? Um, over the holidays, my daughters and I, we actually watched this Netflix show. I don't actually think it was made by Netflix, but it was on Netflix. It was about um, about Mary. It was a musical. Did anyone else watch it? It was actually very cool. It was about the birth of Jesus and Mary. And um, I actually don't even know why I went down this road. Oh, yes, of course, because you see that. They, they spoke, the Bible was written in ancient Greek. That's what I'm getting at. Okay, so, so Jesus was not British, and the Bible was not written in English. It was written in ancient Greek. And why I'm telling you guys this is that ancient Greek was way more expressive than the English language, way more expressive. And so for every one word that we have in the English vocabulary, there are four words in the ancient Greek. Crazy, eh? So the Bible was a lot more specific than than how we would read it. And so it often helps to go back to the root word to actually understand. Are you guys with me? Now, if you look at the ancient Greek and we're talking about worship, the word that they used in the ancient Greek was proskuneo. Okay? Worship in the ancient Greek is proskuneo. And if we had to look at the actual meaning of it, this is pretty interesting. It means to kiss but not romantically. I'm going to give you the proper definition. It says to kiss the hand of a superior. Okay. So can sound a bit odd, but I like this example. They say you can liken it to the kiss of a dog licking its owner's hand. Okay. Bear with me. Do we have any dog lovers in the house? Dog owners, maybe if you just own a dog, you don't have to love it. If you own a dog, you will understand, okay? Um, in our family, Andre and I have been through a few dogs, but our very first dogs, um, we did what a lot of young couples do. We thought, okay, we think we're ready for kids, but let's first test drive some puppies, you know, see if we're responsible enough. And we got these basset hounds and we fall madly in love with these dogs, it's actually embarrassing. We went on holiday and we would stare at pictures of the dogs on the phone and miss them. It's like lame, hey? We We love these dogs. Well, they slept in our bed. And then when the babies came, it was like, oh, flip, this dog's so big he's going to roll on the baby. So we put a sleeper couch in our room for the dog. Some of you are, yeah, a bit, a bit much. But we loved this dog. Well, the two of them, Harold and Bella. But you know what's even crazier is that the dogs loved us more than we loved them. And we loved them a lot. The dogs were crazy about us. So crazy that when we went to work, the dogs would howl all day long. These two basset hounds. And I'm sure you guys can understand our neighbours were not impressed with us. So we got a couple of threatening letters, and it got a bit ugly, and then eventually we, listen, we tried doggy daycare, we took them to my mom's house to play with her bull terrier, and her bull terrier ate half the basset hounds' ear off, so that didn't work, and eventually, with very heavy hearts, we, Andre drove these basset hounds to a farm, and he cried all the way there and all the way back, I think he cried for about a week, Um, and Eventually we got Bella back for like the last three years of her life when we'd moved into a, a bigger property. So that was amazing. But these dogs adored us so much. Now we've got our daughters and we've got another two, another set of dogs because they always say it's better to get them in a, in a pair. And these are miniature Yorkies. And we thought we're going to get these tiny little dogs because they, their mouths are so small they can't eat our furniture, which the basset hounds also did. Now, Charlie is the baby. He's the puppy, okay? And Charlie looks like a miniature panda bear. He's super cute. He's black and white. Um, And he loves our girls. So every night, he will run into the girls' bedroom when they go to bed. He'll curl up with with either one of the girls. They are his favorite because they play with him and they're fun. And when the girls are coming home, he can hear their footsteps coming up the path. Charlie goes crazy okay, he starts to go into like a mad tizzy. He'll run around in circles. He'll jump up and down. He'll start to squeal because the girls are coming home. It's almost like he's yelling, they're here, they're here, they've come home. And all he wants to do is give them a kiss, right? And if you get that dog like 10 centimetres away from your face, his tongue will shoot out and he'll give you a big sloppy kiss right over the mouth. And I tell the girls, now I have to deworm you again. Don't let him kiss you in the face. Because he also eats poo. This is really gross. I don't know why he does it. They say something's missing from his diet. Okay, it's gross. But he will give you a kiss, a warning if you ever come to my house. Charlie will kiss you. But he, especially the girls, he's obsessed with them. And literally, if the garage door goes up, he also knows they've come home. Again, he starts to spin around. And sometimes he even runs up on the dining room table and then off the other side. And literally, he's yelling, "They're home! They're home! They're here! My girls are here! I'm gonna be around them! I can't wait!" He's like ecstatic, and he's ready for that kiss. Are you guys getting the picture? A dog wanting to 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 give his owner. A kiss, hello, that that adoration, that worship. That's how we should be with God. I get to go to church. I get to be in His presence. I get to wake up and worship Him. I can't wait because His presence is here. The Bible says when we worship, we get into His presence. It says we enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. And we need to actually approach worship with that excitement, with that expectancy. Like Charlie does with the girls. Some of us worship God like a cat. Let's be honest. I've had some cats. We don't have cats anymore. I'm not even going to go there. It's a horrible story. But these cats, they also like to sleep on the dining room table. That's where Charlie learns it from. But unlike Charlie, if the garage door opens and the cat was suntanning, he's like, leave me alone. Don't bug me. Don't touch me. Like He'll hiss at you if you come close because he's chilling. The only time he'll come and give you a little bit of attention or a purr is if he's hungry, right? When he needs something. Some of us, we'll only go to God when we need something. Otherwise, we're like, leave me alone, I'm good. I'm just doing my thing. Just me. It's just me, eh? But we need to worship God a little bit more like a dog. There's something about people who approach God in worship wholeheartedly that God finds irresistible. He can't help but pour out His grace, His mercy, and His favor on someone who is ecstatic to be in His presence. And... One of my favorite scriptures is 2 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth or across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. That is a beautiful scripture. God is sitting in heaven. The earth is his footstool. He's that big. He's that huge. And his eyes are looking across the earth. And he wants to show himself strong on behalf of of the people who are fully devoted to Him, who are in love with Him, who want to worship Him. There's a favor and a grace that gets released over your life when you approach God like that. He finds it completely irresistible. We even see it in the life of King David. I love talking about King David. Do you know why I love him? Because he's, he was so real. Okay, He wasn't perfect. He messed up. His life was a journey. But what was beautiful about David was his heart. He's described as having a heart after God's own heart. And because of that, he was anointed as king. And because of that, God used him powerfully. Not because he was perfect, not because he always got it right, because in his heart, he wanted to please God. He was desperate to be around God's presence. He was a worshiper. He wrote most of the Psalms. You just have to open up the book of Psalms and you see David's heart was to worship God. And then we read in 2 Samuels chapter 6 from verse 20 to 22 how when David was king, the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen. Now before we had the Holy Spirit, so before Jesus died, God's presence was carried in the Ark of the Covenant. Now... Because Jesus went to the cross, we get the Spirit of God inside of us, the Holy Spirit, which is incredible. But in those days, the Ark of the Covenant would carry the Spirit of God, and it was taken away. And David managed to get it back. And we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when they finally get the Ark of the Covenant back, he's literally like Charlie on steroids. He can't believe he's got God's presence. And get this, church. He had to walk over eight miles, which is, I don't know, maybe like 11 kilometers. I'm not entirely sure. I should have checked that for you guys. But obviously, it's further in kilometers. He had to walk eight miles back with the Ark of the Covenant. And that was roughly, they say, 2,000. No, no, no. Sorry. It was over 14,000 steps. And the Bible says that, you know what David did? After every sixth step he took, he made everyone stop. He got an animal. And they sacrificed it to God because that was part of their worship. And then they broke out in crazy adoration and worship and began singing praises to God. They were going, we've got His presence. We've got His presence back. Our God is here. We've got the Ark of the Covenant. God is so good. He couldn't stop Himself. And if you actually work it out, it means that He sacrificed an animal and broke out into exuberant worship. 2,347 times over an eight-mile walk. That's devoted worship, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. And God said, that's what I'm looking for. Someone who's going to worship me in spirit and in truth, who's going to love me with their soul, with their mind, with all their strength. And David, after stopping every six steps to offer a sacrifice of praise, a burnt offering, break out in worship, he gets back and his wife is not impressed. Okay, he was married to the daughter of Saul and she like has a go at him. She's like, you just made an absolute fool of yourself, like disrobing in front of the slaves and dancing around and, and, you know, what kind of a king acts like that? And this is how he replies to her, reading to you guys. From 2 Samuel 6, verse 20 to 22. He actually says to his wife, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else in this house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will become even more undignified than this. So he's basically telling her, you think that was extreme? Like there's more to come. This is my God we're talking about. There's no limit to how much adoration and praise I'm going to give him. Now, let's be honest. I'm sure there's a lot of us in this room that would have thought the same as, as David's wife. That's a little bit over the top. It's a little bit weird. Just me? Just me again. But you go, she's every six steps, David. Some of you probably even think, like, We go a bit over the top here on a Sunday. Like, you know, they slam those drums just a little bit too hard. And why does the electric guitar have to be that loud? And why does Martine have to jump so much? It's a little bit over the top. But I want you to think about this. I was joking with the first service, but this really did happen. Yesterday... I'm sitting upstairs doing my sermon and it's my own fault because I should have been finished by Friday. That's always my goal, but I wasn't. And I could hear Andre downstairs screaming at the TV. And I was like, and you know, I kind of saw it it was a rugby game. And then like an hour later, he's screaming at the TV again. And I'm like, don't you have a sermon to do? Because he's preaching at Malpos, you know? And I'm like, how many rugby games are you going to watch? It's like, seriously, you know? And I'm just, jealous because he's having fun and I'm like, not that I wasn't having fun prepping, but you guys are with, I'm just being honest here, okay. But he's getting really excited and he's making a noise and I'm trying to concentrate and I'm trying to, you know, hear from God and and he's just shouting at the TV and getting so excited. And it made me think, you know, before the Stormers moved to, okay, they were playing in France yesterday, but before they moved to to Cape Town, they used to play at Newlands, right? And I remember getting caught up in those games. I was actually a big rugby supporter. And... um I remember we would have to leave the house so early and park kilometres away from the Flipping Stadium, and then we'd walk. And firstly, those tickets cost a fortune. If you wanted decent tickets, they they did not come cheap. Now you park kilometres away, you walk, you finally get there, you stand in long, long queues, and then you finally get to watch the game. And there we all are screaming and shouting like crazy people for a bunch of strangers in blue shirts that don't even know our names. They don't even know we exist and we're going crazy and people are having fights next to us. I've seen people punch each other at a Stormers game and we're going absolutely mad and we think that that's normal because it's rugby. We're not, we're just fans. It's normal. And then after that, we get in long queues to exit the stadium. We walk kilometers back to our car or our transport route and then we sit in traffic to get home. And that's, that's totally normal. Nothing weird about that. We're just fans. But on a Sunday, when Martine jumps around, she's a fanatic. You think about it. And Martine would tell us she's not a fanatic. She's a fan of the king of the universe who actually knows her name, who called her by name who created her, who knit her together in her mother's womb, who has a purpose for her life, who's protecting her, who has her back, who actually gave his life for her. And He is worthy of her praise. He's worthy of her jumping and shouting and getting a little bit excited. Amen? Wouldn't you say that, Martine? We actually see the disciples do this at passover if we read luke chapter 19 verse 37 to 40 i'm going to read from the message bible but it says right at the crest where mount olive's to descend, the whole crowd of disciples burst into enthusiastic praise all because of all the mighty works they had witnessed remember they had seen blind people suddenly be able to see they had seen lame people walk they'd seen so many healings and miracles they had a reason to get excited Blessed is he who comes, the King in God's name, all is well in heaven. So they're shouting out praises, they're excited. They said glory in the high places, so they are worshipping God. And the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, get your disciples under control. But he said, if they keep quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. Now listen, I'm not the biggest extrovert in church, but I read a scripture like that and I'm like, there's no way a rock is going to take my place. Okay? That's just embarrassing. Like, I'm not going to keep quiet so that a rock has to shout out in my place. In the Bible, you know what used to help me when I first had to preach? It was terrifying. And I used to think, you know what? If God can use a donkey and speak through a donkey, he can use the ankhith. Amen? So... If we keep quiet, the rocks are going to take our place. And that that is an absolute embarrassment. You and I can do better than that. View Church can do better than that. We were created to worship. What does it look like biblically? I'm going to look at a couple of words. This is now the Hebrew that describes praise and worship. The first word we're going to look at is halal. Okay, so we're actually referring to praise. And this means to rave, boast, celebrate, and to be clamorously foolish. And the word halal is what leads to the word hallelujah. Okay, so halal, and then luya is to God. So basically it's saying we're going to rave, celebrate, boast unto God. And I've always had hallelujah explained to me as we're giving God our highest praises. Because there's nothing worse than standing in church and singing hallelujah, hallelujah, don't know what I'm saying, hallelujah. Eh? You could be chanting like some weird, you know. You want to actually know what you're singing, right? Just me again. You're singing highest praises to God. I'm celebrating God. I'm lifting God up. That's what hallelujah means. I'm going to rave. I'm going to boast about His goodness. I'm going to give Him His highest praises. Psalm 35 verse 18 actually uses the word halal. And it says, I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will halal you. So I will celebrate, rave, boast about you, and get this, before all people. Because you might say, Leanne, I'm an introvert. I don't want to shout and scream in front of people. That's just not me. I'll do it for the stormers. But don't make me do it in front of the church. That's just not my comfort zone. This verse is saying, God expects us to do it before all people. Listen, I love my husband. I'm wearing a wedding ring. He's wearing his wedding ring. If he had to say to me, you know what, babe, I'm going to wear my wedding ring at home when we're together because this relationship is between you and me. I'm not going to wear it in public. It has nothing to do with the outside world. I'm going to take it off when I leave the house. Who here thinks Andre would be in a very good place right now? It would not go down well, okay? This wedding ring, yes, it shows a, a private um, commitment we've made to each other, but it's, it's meant to be shown off publicly that we've made an oath and a vow to each other. It's a public declaration of the decision that's been made internally in our hearts. And I'd be very offended if you wanted to keep it a secret. Rightfully so. So why do we want to keep our love for God a secret? Why can't we celebrate him in front of other believers or wherever we are? And I'm please, I'm not saying you have to be weird. Andre was on a trip once. He almost died. He had a teenager from Durbanville who got on an Australian flight, grabbed the, the intercom when the air hostess wasn't looking and started like yelling praise and telling everyone they were going to hell. Don't do that. Very embarrassing. They almost kicked him off the flight. But in a church environment, you should be bold enough to shout out to your God. He deserves it. He requires halal worship. The next word we're going to look at is Barak. And that means to bless by kneeling or bowing. When you Barak worship God, you're basically getting ready to receive from Him. So Psalm 103 verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul all my inmost being, praise His holy name and receive all His benefits. And that's, rece- that's referring to the Barak form of praise. That's when we're going, you know what? I'm gonna bow down before God. Sometimes you actually physically get on your knees or in your heart, you're just saying, I'm humbling myself. But God, in this moment, as I worship you, I'm acknowledging that I need your power. I need to receive from you. I need your peace in my life. I need your love in my heart. I can't do this alone, God. So as I worship you, I need you to fill me up. I need you to change me. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to pour out your presence over me so I can face the day. Guys, I know I can't face a day without God's presence in my life. I, can't, I won't get through it. I know I'm not gonna get through 2024 without God's presence. That's why this week is so important. It sets us up for 2024. Remember, we we're, we're praying and fasting and worshiping God, not to get Him to to not to twist His arm and to get Him to do whatever we want Him to do. But we're going, you know what, God? I want to get onto Your agenda. I want to understand what Your plans are. I want to do this year Your way. Otherwise, I'm going to hurt myself and I'm going to hurt the people in my life. I need You. Sometimes we need to get on our knees and humble ourselves that God can pour out His presence and His peace. The next word is zaymar. And this one's pretty straightforward. It means making music to God with string instruments. It's all the guitarists' favourite version of praise. Psalm 92 verse 1, it says, It is good to zaymar, praise the Lord, and make music to your name, O Most High. God likes music. He created music. He actually created an angel that was in charge of music. And that was Lucifer, who unfortunately fell. But he was beautiful and majestic. And he was, and he was head of, of, of worship. And I think that's why music has so much power to influence negatively in the world as well as positively. And we need to be so aware of what we're lending our ears to, right? Because the devil knows how to use worship, uh, Sorry, music. That was his zone. But they say heaven is going to be loud. It's described, they say the worship in heaven will be like the sound of a thousand waterfalls. And listen, we're going to be so full of his presence and so in awe, no one's going to get upset with the noise. But I do think that getting loud here on earth is good preparation. Amen? The next word is shabak, and that means to address in a loud tone or to shout. Psalm 63, verse three to four, it says, "Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will shout in a loud voice. I will shabak praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands." Again, you might say, why do we have to get loud? I always try to make it practical. And I thought, imagine if I'd been away from my husband and my kids for two months. And I was finally coming back to see them. I was arriving at the airport. They were waiting at the gate. And I walked up to them and their response was, hi, the car's over there. I'm going to pay the parking ticket. I would be devastated. I'd be like, where's the welcome home, mommy? Where's the shouting? Where's the balloons? Where's the hugging and the screaming? Like they must have missed me. Aren't they glad to see me? Where's the excitement? I think I'd be super, super hurt. Right? God wants us to be a little bit like Charlie. When we get into His presence, He wants us to be so excited. We can't contain ourselves because we're around the presence of the of our God of the Most High King of the One who loves us and saves us He's called us to worship with loud enthusiasm the next one is Tauda which means to lift your hands in adoration my youngest daughter Zara she's nine now can't believe they're getting so big my daughter's But ever since she was a baby, she was such a mommy's girl. And I loved that. Secretly, I loved it. And um, at that point, her bedroom was right near our bedroom. So literally, from my angle in my bed, I could see into her room. And I could see her on her bed back in the day. So she was like three or four. And when she woke up in the night, she would cry out, Mama! Mama! Mama, I need you. That's what she would say. Mama, I need you. And she'd lift her little hands up. She'd stretch her hands out to me. And it would melt my heart. And once or twice, I was super tired. And I'd say, Andre, you go. It's your turn. And he would get up and go to Zara. uh, It was very funny when it happened. I shouldn't laugh, but she'd be like, no, not you. I want Mama. And, I, and then my heart melted even more. And I would jump up and say, Mama's here. And she'd wrap her little arms around my neck. And that's all she wanted was to feel, to feel that she had me in her arms. And then how would she lean over the bed and she'd go back to sleep? But just knowing that I was there. But the sight of those hands stretched out going, Mommy, I need you. Mommy, I trust you. Mommy, I adore you. Oh, it melted me. And it just makes me think, God's saying, I want you to worship like that with your hands up. Saying, God, I adore you. I need you. I love you. I want you. What that does to God's Father heart for us. The other thing that lifting our hands up in worship does is it shows that we surrender. Right? Hands up is the universal sign of surrender. Also, I love to tell the church, when you're lifting your hands, it isn't some weird, creepy thing. You're just saying, God, I'm surrendering. Have your way in me because I need you. I love you. I trust you. I want you. And it's biblical to worship God like that. It's not weird. It's it's biblical. And the last one is tequila, which rhymes with tequila. And they both cause exuberant singing. Psalm 34, verse 1, it says, I will extol the Lord at all times, and his praise, his tehillah, will always be on my lips. So, worship should be fun. We should be excited because we're in the presence of the King. And I'm going to sing exuberantly, even if my voice is so off tune, even if I wasn't given a musical bone in my body. My God gave me His best. He gave me His one and only Son. Jesus went to the cross for me. Come on. He gave me everything for heaven's sake. And I'm going to worship Him with my best. Hebrews 13 verse 5, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess His God's saying, I know that sometimes it's going to be a sacrifice. You're not always going to feel like shouting or jumping or lifting your hands. But you know what? Because you love me, I'm asking you to bring a sacrifice of praise. You guys have only heard me speak for about 25 minutes now. And you're probably going, I, I know what this woman values and loves. Clearly her kids and her husband, she can't stop talking about them, Hey. And I do love them. I love them so much that I will drive for miles and miles to get my daughters to their netball and their singing. And their, I've just re, I've redone grade five with the oldest one. And I spent hours studying with her because I love her. It was a sacrifice, but I do it gladly. And I don't expect anything in return because I love her. It's my joy. It's my privilege. God's going I want you to love me so that a sacrifice of praise is something you'll do gladly because I have your heart you see my husband and my kids have my heart and because they have my heart everything else follows my money it cost me a fortune my time my talent I'll I'll give it all to them because I love them but I'm also very mindful that when you hear me speak my first love shouldn't be my husband and my kids it should be my God Because every good thing I have in my life comes from Him. It's a gift from Him. It's by His grace. It's for His glory. I would be nothing without Him. I'm so aware of that. I wouldn't have my husband. I wouldn't have those kids. It's all by His grace and it's for His glory. So He needs to be my number one love, my number one desire. Like Subs were saying, wherever your heart is, your time, your talent and your treasure will gladly follow and God just wants your heart. I love Pastor Chris Hodges and I was listening to a lot of his talks on worship as I was prepping and he he tells the story of the musical Fiddler on the Roof. Anyone watch that musical? Martine has. I actually haven't but obviously now I've, I've read up about it and it's set in Russia and it's about a Jewish family and in those times you know, if you were Jewish, you weren't allowed to choose a spouse. You were, you were. there was a matchmaker who would choose your spouse for you. And basically in this musical, there's a big clash because this this Jewish man's daughters are all falling in love organically and they want to choose their own husbands. And their dad's going, no, but that's not the way we do things. The matchmaker says it's this one. And there's this, this clash between what does he do? Does he let them choose? Does he force them to marry the person that he's chosen? And then while he's going through this process, he starts to think about his own wife. He's been married for like 25 years. And he goes, Sheesh, we were, we were match made. And so when we met, we weren't in love. And I wonder if she loves me now after 25 years. And so he actually says to her, he goes, Like, do you love me? Like, it's been 25 years. Do you love me? And her reply is, for twenty five years now I've cooked for you, I've milked your cows, I've cleaned after you, I've served you. That's her response. Like And of course the sad thing is that she's totally actually missing the whole point. He's not asking what have you done for me? He's going, Do you love me? Like, do do I have your heart? And God, He really just wants to know. Do you and I love Him? He doesn't want us to go, listen, yeah, I, I really don't want to go to hell. I, I, I want to escape the flames. So God, I've come to church every Sunday. I even joined a dream team. I did this. I did that. I even, you know, I, I even gave um, a homeless person some food. Like I, I've done all my good deeds. God's going, I, I, don't, I don't want that. I want your heart. Do you love me? Because He loves you fiercely. He loves you so much, He keeps track of the amount of hairs you have on your head. He loves you so much, He knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you so much, He has a specific plan for you. He's got good plans for you, a purpose, a hope and a future. But He wants to know, do you love Him? Does He have your heart? You might be saying, Leanne, I don't know if I'm in love with him. That's okay. If you give him some time, I promise you, you'll fall hopelessly in love with him. You can't not fall in love with him because he's good and he's faithful and he's kind. I guarantee you, you give him a chance, you will fall hopelessly in love with him. But it's going to take a bit of effort. Just like a marriage takes effort. You need to spend time with Him. It's going to take getting up in the morning and being in His presence, coming this week, when it's a tight week in this school meetings and going, I'm going to prioritize being in God's presence because I love Him or I want to love Him. I'm going to take that step. He paid a massive price for you to be close to you, to walk with you. Because... He loves you that much. And once He has your heart, everything else follows. The sacrifice becomes easy. I'm going to ask you guys just to bow your heads. If you are here this morning and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, I would be giving doing you the biggest disservice ever by not giving you an opportunity to get to know Jesus personally, to give your life to Him because coming to church doesn't make you a Christian or doing good deeds. It's actually having a relationship with God. That's the important part, getting to know Him, falling in love with Him. And so if you haven't given your life to God, I wanna give you an opportunity to do it right now. It is the best decision I ever made and I can guarantee you it's the best decision you will ever make. Maybe you were in a relationship with Him a long time ago, but you know that you've drifted away and you need to recommit. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. You were created on purpose, for a purpose, by a God who loves you fiercely. So I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to lift your hand if you want to give your life to Jesus or if you want to recommit. And the reason I ask you to, to raise your hand is because something happens when you make that public confession Jesus actually says in the Bible if you will stand up for me in front of men I'll stand up for you in front of my father in heaven so with every eye closed out of respect if you want to give your life to Jesus one God so loved the world two that he gave his one and only son three you can pop your hand up boldly so I can see it just pop it up I see that hand I see that hand that's amazing I see that hand I see that hand I see that hand. Come on, this is awesome. Anyone else, don't miss. I see that hand. Just lift it up. It's the best decision you could ever make. I see that hand. Come on, you were created on purpose. I see that hand. I see that hand. This is amazing. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Okay, church, can we pray together as a family because we are in this together? I see that hand. We're going to pray together. Is that good? I see that hand? Awesome. Dear Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for my sins. Today I repent and I ask you to become Lord of my life. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to live life on purpose for a purpose. Thank you that I'll never be alone. Thank you that you love me. And the Bible says that you hold me by the right hand. That I'm yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. The whole of heaven has a party when one person prays that prayer. And I just want to encourage you guys. You know, we always say when you you give your life to Jesus or you recommit, you've hit a spiritual home run. If you're playing baseball, no one hits a home run and stops at first base. That's crazy. You run all the bases. So I want to encourage you, there's a prayer team on the side. If you want prayer or join a view group, connect with someone. But don't just stop at first base.